The Vault, a podcast with Dali de Ruth. Thank you so much, Elena, for being in the podcast, The Vault. So, yeah. Um, so when we first, when I first met you, it was on on Instagram, and I loved your your profile and the the, the, the pictures and the images from your studio. So that's why I decided to send you a message, and we've met in Lisbon. You have invited me to be in your in your studio. And I really, really loved it being there. So, and I want to bring this um, theme from BDSM and dominatrix and fandom. So that's what I want to, to know. So to start, I'm going to ask you, what is the essence, the essence of, of a fandom, of a dominatrix? What exactly do you do? Mm. Well, the main thing is the power exchange. Okay. So in our um, normal life, um, usually men are dominating women. And this is a kind of um, um, sad position that happens, uh, that is happening by itself naturally. Men are physically stronger. Uh, men are expected to be more responsible, uh, having more responsibility in uh, many areas of the life. And though, in especially in developed countries like Europe and US, um, uh, women are becoming stronger. They're getting better positions in, in their jobs. They're getting uh, they started to earn money the same level as men and even more. Still. This is, uh, for me, I think it's absolutely normal that men in our life are more responsible. They having this burden of responsibility more than women, like on taking care of the family, on providing with the money, with um, being successful in their career. Um, it's absolutely okay for a woman to not to have a huge, like, really prosperous career like more or less it's okay like if she has some nice um simple job but for a man it's it's not considered same acceptable everyone ex uh, is expecting that men should be really like prosperous in their life so men are expected to be stronger like by default so what's happening when they come to dominatrics is that they want a release from this huge burden of responsibility that they get in their normal life. They want to like let it go for one, two, three hours to change this role, to be on the other side, to be with someone who is making decisions for them. And there's always some kinks that they have other than just not always, but very often there are some special twist of this power exchange. For example, some for some people, it's nice to, uh, to change also gender roles to be a woman during this session, right? Or some people have special fetishes. They like bare feet or they like high heels. So there's all, uh, there are very often sometimes of some, some kind of a twist on what they uh, find sexual and attractive. So 
dominatrix is working on my point of view is working as a kind of a therapist that helps to release the stress to give this kind of um uh, temporary release of the responsibility for some time to give this safe container, safe space to realize people's kinks and fetishes. Um, and yes, to, to feel like completely change the role. Sometimes it's also a role play where we, we have some special fantasy realizing. So it's all about power exchange. This is what's happening in my sessions. <laughs> In brief, <laughs> what is the thing you most love about being a dominatrix? Um, I like emotions. I like emotions that I get from the clients. That's actually my main goal to see this power that I have over the people, and I create. And I have the power of creating special emotions, those that I want. And they can be different. They can be fear. They can be stress, but like in a good stress, right? Like adrenaline. It can be a feeling of relaxation. It can be a feeling of excitement. It can be sexual excitement. So all these kind of feelings, they're all controllable by me. And I, I love to to feel that those emotions are strong and they are done exactly as I plan them to be. And of course I get the, my emotions as well. This is my biggest pleasure. So yeah, this is one thing that I love. And another thing is that I like, unlike very many stereotypes that people have about dominatrix. And as this is something that I already told you about, that people think that a dominatrix is someone who is um, only hurting people. So yeah. it's just all about pain, which is very partially true. <laughs> I use pain, but it's not like the main core of the, of the job. And another thing is that the woman uh, dominatrix is pleasing clients that she's serving them. Well, it's mostly related to professional dominatrixes, but also to lifestyle. Many people have this um, belief that this is all about sex and it's all about a woman pleasing the man, having some kind of fetish wear and and uh, and a flogger and whatever, just to make them more excited. But still, the whole control is in the hands of the of the man. So it's absolutely wrong. Um, uh, so I forgot what I was talking about. So these are the stereotypes about the dominatrix. And what I think it is actually, it is a therapy. This is what I enjoy. I feel that I'm helping people. I'm making them more um, pleased, were more accepted uh, in their own eyes. There are so many people that um, even are kind of a depression because they think that nobody understands them. They think that they are perverts. What they're doing and what they want is something really awful. And I believe that I help these people because it's absolutely normal to have those kinks. There are so many people that having uh, similar kinks or maybe even if it's a unique kink, it's absolutely normal. And again, as I told you, 
in our uh, in our society, if you look at the media, if you look at the movies, you will see that the submissive male is always shown as someone very weak, someone weak and someone um, ridiculous. This is how we see. We never see submissive males as someone strong. And this stereotype is so wrong because most of people that I meet, they are very successful. They are owning businesses. They are having a lot of money. They are responsible. They have successful families. Uh, they have kids. So everything is great in their life, except that they have some hidden desires and fantasies that they cannot realize with their current partner. So I see them very strong. They're actually very brave to come to me and to give the responsibility and the power over them in the hands of a woman that they had they hardly know so you need to be very very um brave and that is uh, i think something that i hope the, the society will change the attitude to submissive males because they are not weak they are not uh ridiculous or less um, masculine they are not less masculine at all as i always say this is very um uh, eyes opening for many people when I say, you know, most of the men that come to me for feminization, they are absolutely straight. They are not bisexual even very often. They are not even bisexual. They just have this king of cross-dressing and feeling themselves another gender during a session. And usually it's connected to the power exchange. But uh, what I uh, also uh, shared with you already, the, the thing that one client told me once, and it really, um, uh, really, I, I felt uh, so much sympathy with him because he told me, you know, if I could switch off my, um, my, my kinks, my, my nature, I would do so because I had so many problems in my life because of that. It would be so much easier if I would be normal. And immediately I was thinking, this is what I heard from gay people saying some many years ago, because they had so many problems in their life because they were gay. Now it's changing, right? It's changed in most countries, it's different. Now, uh, if you're gay, it doesn't mean any problems in your life mostly. But when you are submissive, especially male, you may have a lot of problems in your life, like with seeing you as someone inferior, you know. Kings equal fetish? They are the same thing? No, it's not the same. Can you please fetish, uh, describe the difference between one and another? Yeah, fetish is something that is necessary for uh, sexual excitement. So if you don't have uh, the subject of your fetish, you are not actually sexually excited. You cannot be sexually excited. So it's something like, really... Like a, like a tool? Yeah, like for example, if there is no bare feet in your... Uh, in your sexual life, then for you it is very difficult or sometimes even impossible to get excited. This is the fetish. But kink is just, you know, just something not uh, normal as usually is, is considered. So it's kind of a different twist to your sexuality. So this is kink. You can be, you can have your sex life without this kinky stuff. So it's not obligatory. Um, so, yeah, and, and also kinks uh, can change within your life. You can 
like today you like this, tomorrow you like that, but fetches is usually like something said quite early and people are um, getting uh, pleasure. Yeah, they're, they're just always having the same fetish the whole of their life. What is, what is the most common kink that your clients do they do they do you call it clients or do you call them submissive? They're submissives. Um, I often ask this question, but when we talk about our future session or we talk about the session after uh, it's finished, they're always clients. They're just uh, someone who I'm talking about, um, about the session, I'm talking about the, um, the kinks and the nature, and I'm also talking to them like friends, sometimes with my regular clients. But during the session, <clears throat> they are submissive, and I even call them slaves. So there is a big difference they, uh, in terms of a submissive scale. Uh, they can be uh, like, they can be arranged between a slave and a bottom. And it depends on the level of power exchange. Like a slave is ready to give totally the control over him, like 100%. And the bottom is so someone who is not giving you any control. So there's no submissiveness at all. He's just accepting some of your practices. But normally all of the clients are somewhere in between on the scale. So, but during the session, I always call them slaves and out of the session, they are clients, uh, but overall they are more or less submissive. So it's, it's kind of complicated. <laughs> I don't know. I never, I never thought about it as something crucial. Um, but I was going to ask you is, if there is a, a common kink that your clients ask for. Like this is something that many, many clients ask to, to mm -hmm. play. Well, um, if talking about the common request that I get, it's mostly like, I want to feel the power, powerful woman controlling me. I want to feel someone, um, I want to feel exposed. I want to be um, completely controlled, unable to do anything without my own desire. It's like the, the, whole, the overall request. But within this request, they can be saying that they especially um, find exciting. <clears throat> and I by purpose do not use the word like, because I do not ask them what you like. During the session, it is very important uh, to talk about what I like, okay? Because I'm a dominatrix. But uh, I need to know what things are most effective for, for me to control them. And those are those kinks that I usually mentioned uh, when we negotiate, when we talk about the session. It can be, for example, some people like bondage, some people like <clears throat> impact playing something, some people like feminization. I can't say what is most common because it's very much, um, like sometimes it is combined, like one, one person like this, one person like that. And I would say that every request that I get are more or less unique. So um, I never have the same in the same sessions all the time. So always there is there isn't uh, a play that is uh, like a, a recurrent request. The, um, the the thing that your clients most ask from you is to be dominated by you. That's the the core. Yes, it's a, it's a kind of a, the core that they ask, but it's actually the core what I offer. 
because um, there are domain addresses are all very different. So some, some, for example, offer much more sexual contact. And when I talk to those kind of women, there's always something sexual happening. And the, the most common request can be, for example, um, like leaking them, right? Forced, uh, forced leaking, which I do not offer, or golden shower, which I do not offer. But, and people just do not even ask me for that because I said it's on my side, I do not offer that. So probably, but, but from other doms, I heard that this is one of the most common requests. For me, I cannot even say that I get some requests more often than others. Maybe like quite sad things that are very special in feminization. Um, but again, I can say that it's like a majority of my sessions. Uh, I also do quite a lot of bondage. That's why uh, I also get a little bit more requests for bondage. Um, but overall, no, I cannot even tell you that uh, I have some, some of the requests or some of the kinks are more um, frequent than others. Okay. So yeah. how can, I know, I know that you are a professional dominatrix and there are some fake dominatrix out there. How can you distinguish between one and another? How can you tell that one is a real dominatrix and other people are not dead? That's a very good question because there's, um, when internet started to develop, there were so many women appear that understood that it's quite easy to get money from people saying that, oh, I'm not a dominatrix, so you have to pay to me, just even for the pleasure to talk to me. And the whole phenomenon of fiendom that's been developed last several years uh, is something what I believe is disastrous because males very often uh, start, starting to think that fiendom equals to femdom, which is not true. There can be elements of financial domination. There can be some money king things happening. Even at my sessions, I do sometimes. I, I have some online clients that are doing this. But it's not everything. It's just a small part. And when you talk about femdom done in a, in a good, proper way, it should be always structured in a specific way. If there should be negotiation, when you talk about the limits, you talk about the... Um, what you can do, what you can do, so you agree on the things, then there is this kind of um, session itself. Uh, it doesn't even matter if it is face-to-face -face or online, but there's always the end of that session, and then there is aftercare. When you talk, when you check how he feels, what's, uh, what's happening, how it is going, blah, blah, blah. What's happening now with online fake domes is that there is no beginning, there is no end. There is just constant abuse, I would say. It's not domination, it's abuse when the people are just talking to you as shit and asking for money for nothing and, you know, humiliating everyone who is just passing by. This is not domination. There is no this human element before and after. So this is one thing. Another thing is lack of experience. Some women that are not, they, well, mostly both types of fake doms are doing it just for money. 
but one is just doesn't know anything. She's just playing uh, this humiliated game of kingdom and um, requiring money for nothing. But there's also domes that they claim what they don't have. So they may claim that they have experience and they don't know, they don't have it. They claim that they are educated, but they are not. Because dominatrix is not someone who's just, you know, take a client, call him a humiliating name, bust his balls and leave. This is not a dominatrix. A dominatrix needs to know a lot, a lot of things, starting from the psychology to specific practices. There are so many practices. Well, actually, in BDSM, there's almost all of the activities, even psychological ones, can lead to damage. There is no totally 100% safe practices. BDSM is dangerous. Okay, it's like everyone should understand. I was going to ask you that the pros and the cons of uh, practicing BDSM and all with the tools and all the plays. Is there any cons and pros? <laughs> Yes, well, the thing is, when you're doing anything, any kind of practices, when I'm doing this any kind of practices, I am trying to make it maximum safe, okay? So what I'm doing to make it safe is that, first of all, I get educated. I get workshops all the time. I, um, at least once a week, I get some online workshops or I read something online, or I get some instructional videos. I'm constantly developing. Um, on most of the practices, there are very specific safe rules, and um, uneducated dogs that do not know this, they can really harm a person. Like uh, an example that I always um, say is, for example, an anal play. Most of them, like if you have a look online, especially, and the offers of uh, these kind of um, escort, I call them escort, uh, fetish escort, uh, is a prostitute that offering also kind of a domination services. And they are not doms, they are escort girls. Um, but very often what they offer is, um, like most common, most common requests that come from, from men, for example, anal play. And when you do anal play, um, what I heard a lot from my clients is that anal play cannot be painful, dot. Like it cannot be painful. If there is pain, it means that you have a huge risk of getting damaged. And if you go to untrained dom, someone like this, like a prostitute with a big plastic dildo. And then a guy comes that never had pegging experience before. And they start to do it right away. That's a super dangerous. It will be painful and it can even end up with a hospital. So when you do it in, a, in the right way, there should be a lot of preparation, a lot of warm up. Sometimes even it doesn't go into the dildo itself during the session, but it's just an example of, you know, a very common um, way, a wrong way, yes, kind of a wrong way how it is done. And when I hear from my clients, they're saying, oh, I was at another dorm and I did not like, I don't play because it was very hurtful. I'm like, 
well, <laughs> that was a bad dome, you know, it was a bad dome, it shouldn't be painful. Uh, another thing is that there are so many things that people have, like men, come to me saying, having the picture from the porn. And you know it very well, it's, it relates to any areas of sex. If you have the concept based on porn, it's probably very wrong because it's not what's happening in real life. And if you try to do the same as they're doing on porn, it probably will also lead to damage. Uh, for example, bulbasing. Uh, what you can see in porn is that there is a guy somehow fixed with his balls and the dominatrix is just um, uh, with, with giving him a huge, huge hit with his leg. This is super dangerous. This is super dangerous because I'm not even talking about the impact, the huge impact, which cannot be done to the balls, but also because they are easily, they are just hanging without any fixation. This is very dangerous because there can be like a twist of balls and then only the surgery can help. So you can never do the ball busting without tying balls. So you need to tie them first. Um, so this is one of the things, and there are so many of these small things that the dominatrix should know how to do it in a safe way, how to avoid um, uh, marks, for example. This is a huge, huge thing. Like um, most of my clients are um, having partners. They are married or they're having girlfriends and, or they are dressing in the presence of other people and they don't want to have the smallest marks. So when you see a dominatrix showing the photos of a guy all in bruises, like bruises all over his body and there's uh, huge marks and even blood from the weep and this is not for me it's a proof that she's probably not that professional because you don't have to be really skillful to do this you can just take the worst possible whip and you will get all these marks on the person but you're really professional if you can flog and whip a person really harshly and do not leave any marks that is a high skill Unless, yeah. unless your client wants to, to get marked. Of course, of course. Some of them won't, but it happens very rarely. I must tell you, this is very rarely that they really someone wants marks. Um, so, um, and as I, as I said, there are so many of these small things that you need to know. It also relates to creativity. For example, like, for example, yesterday I had a session one hour that was all about bull busting. Okay, that was the main kink of a guy. And what would the unexperienced dog would do? He would just put him there, maybe tie his, his, his hands, and he would just hit his balls in a different way, the same way for the whole hour, right? That would be something that would come to your mind. So what I did, I planned the session from the very beginning. I was asking him, first of all, what you want to feel, why you need this ball busting. Maybe it's not about just pain, maybe there's something, there's always some psychology behind it. So he told me, I want to feel exposed, I want to feel um, unable to do anything, like helpless. Um, so that gave me the idea that I'm going to tie him, but always in a very exposed position, somewhere that he feels 
absolutely exposed, helpless, with his cock um, unprotected in front of me. Uh, so I did the creative predicament. I did some other bondage thing, uh, and I did this ball busting, but in a very different creative way. It was also done together with um, a lot of special wordings. Um, I did it in the different positions. I did it with time and without time, with some CBT tools, without CBT tools. I used candles. I used ultraviolet. So it was the whole scene was very, very, very different and very intense. There was never uh, a moment that he got bored or left alone. He was always in such space. And this is what my goal is. Most of the time of the session, he, the guy should be in um, um, like a special, um, special mode of his mind. It's a changed mode. A trans mode. I don't know how to explain it, but he should. It should be um, a different state. It's not like in you know, your common life. They uh, and I, I because I have so many experience and knowledge. And now I'm I'm approaching to the time that um, not one hundred percent, but most of the time of a session, the person is in this kind of a state. So this is and this is the thing that you can never um understand even even based on the side description of a person of a dominatrix or based on her videos or uh anything it's very difficult to understand that this this woman is really knows what she's doing and she can bring you into submissive mode um what i would trust probably some detailed feedback from the clients um it's very difficult to make them completely fake like totally all the feedback to make it fake, it's, it's quite difficult. Um, I have like the whole page with a lot, a lot of messages from my clients where they explain they what they felt during the session, what it, it came to, how it went, and what they felt, and blah blah blah. And this is this is probably the most credible thing. Yeah. Have you ever declined the clients? Uh, sorry? Have you ever declined a client? Um, like, like someone you didn't want to work with for any any reason? Uh, you know, I have such a detailed process, like such a developed process of um, getting into a session that I do not even have to decline people. They are... Um, they are declining themselves, you know, at different stages. For example, there is a lot of time wasters, those people that are just take your time, but do not have a session. Um, so I just do not talk to anyone um, without a, spe a special application, with a lot of details, with uh, uh, then I ask for a gift card to have a pre-session interview, and that's already a limited factor for many time wasters. And then um, I, on my side, I have so many information about what I do and what I don't do, so I do not even decline people on what they request from me. Very, very rarely people may ask something that I don't offer, um, and I just say, no, I don't do this. Yeah. But it's, it's really rare, because there's no sense, you know? 
if you're looking for a specific thing, specific thing, and it is very important for you, then you probably will start looking for a, for a professional that is offering this. There's no sense in um, talking to someone who is not offering it, you know. So. How, how often do you recommend uh, a person to engage in a BDSM play? Like, for example, if you have a client today, the next time that he wants to work with you, what is the um, frame of time you recommend a second play? Uh, I do not make any recommendation on that because this is very personal. Some people, uh, many people come back, but uh, it's a very different in terms of time frame. Some people come in one month, some people come in one year. So it's very, very uh, like individual. All people have their own understanding. But, it, it's okay, you know, but is it okay for if someone wants to play every day? Is it okay like that? Mm, it's it's impossible. I don't think it will ever happen that every day. No, I had a client that came to me like every month. That was probably the most regular play. Mm, but uh, every day or even every week, I think it's just too much, probably. Why do you think that is? Because they feel feel uh, satisfied. They get fulfillment from that play with you and their their kinks. That's why. Yes, I think so. As um, as I always also uh, say about people that do not have the kink realized, they do not have um, uh, a proper play uh, regularly. What happens is that they uh, get either addicted or trying to negate and try to get rid of the kink. And then they go into this addiction cycle again. And then again, they try to get rid of it uh, um, throw away all the toys and trying to suppress this feeling in them. And this kind of, a, um, you know, these changes, they, yeah, Absolutely. this kind of, a move, yeah, it's going higher and higher, the more depressed, the more addiction, the more depressed. So when you have sessions with, which gives you, which give you really good satisfaction, um, like for me, it's like, I think, not more often than once a month. That's more than enough. You have your session. You get completely satisfied. You had your kink scene. You realized your desires and fetishes. And then you're just living your regular life. And then you come back to professional again. Uh, the same pattern I can see in lifestyle relationships. If people are... Uh, lucky enough that they have this kind of uh, relations in the couple, within the couple, it, it also becomes less often than in the beginning. Uh, like you having kind of a session once a month and that's enough. Then you are just a normal vanilla couple. And then again, you have a session like once or two times a month. So I don't think there is a need for more often thing. Mm -hmm. It happens, of course, but... I don't, I haven't seen that yet. Tell me now about your studio. I've been there and it's, it is absolutely amazing. And I want you to describe your studio. I want you to tell me more about how you create it, about all the rooms that you have in your, in your space, mm -hmm. the dungeon. And the purpose of each room and what you do in each room. 
Mm. Well, um, when I started to work in Lisbon, I could not find any good place that was completely up to my requirements and my needs. I rented a couple of other places. They are all uh, private. Um, one space was nice, but at some point they closed it for public. Um, another place was used by another dorm and she was um, very nicely offered me to rent it from her. But still, it was something not mine. I, I had to bring a lot of toys, put them there, and then take them off. So was was not nice. So I had the opportunity. I had a, a place. Um, there, there are quite many rooms, but of course, I did not have money to uh, to make all of it at once. So what I started to do once one year ago is I started to do one room by another. From the very beginning, I had a plan in my mind what I want to do from each of the rooms. So first, I only made one room. They did not have any special equipment, like no, uh, I mean, BDSF furniture, there was nothing. Uh, there was just a suspension point and a lot of toys that were hanging on the under walls. And uh, But that was more than enough for first place. Um, and I felt so much better when having my own place. Um, there's small things that uh, you need specifically for femdom sessions. Uh, for example, in Lisbon, there is a, a, um, a kind of a room that is offered for BDSM plays. And when I came there, I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely not suitable for a femdom play. There is uh, the cross, for example, and the cross, you could not even fix hands there. There was no chair for worshiping. There was no carpet, so people could not be able to stand on their knees comfortably. But half of the room was occupied by a huge bed. And I don't need a bed at all because I do not offer any kind of these things, you know? So that was most of the of the places. You come there and you see that it doesn't suit me. It's just it's, a, it's very uncomfortable to play with. So everything that I did here, I did for myself. So I just the carpet, I, I had a, an armchair and a suspension board, and that's more than enough for uh, a play that I offer. And then I started to add more rooms for uh, specific kings. For example, uh, the second room that I did was for feminization. So I wanted to have a special room with a special mood there um, with all the clothing and shoes and wigs. And it looks like a kind of a boudoir of a uh, young young girl, you know, and that was my, <clears throat> my idea of this specification room. There's also space for walk on high heels, a lot of mirrors. So uh, I did it as well. Then I had I made a room for medical play. So there is a small room, but it looks like a um, a room for different uh, medical procedures that uh, you can have everything white, you know, mirrors as well, and uh, a lot of equipment. Uh, and I must say that once I started to have this place and I started to invest there, and I invested like really a little, little by little, little by little, because. Um, this work is not giving you that much money, so you have to really invest um, gradually. So um, once I started to invest and buy new things, clients that came to me and see this place and they saw 
what I'm doing, they started to help me. They started to give me a lot of gifts for equipment, for some toys. And there was one client that even paid most of my order for BDSM furniture. I wanted to have a BDSM furniture for a big room that you saw with the blue wall. And um, I, I thought, okay, I will start investing again, step by step. Like I will order the cross first, then maybe with time a cage, maybe with time a stanking bench. And I had a client that said, oh, you know, that will be Chris this Christmas. I'm going to pay most of your bill for these items. And so I was like, I was so happy. <laughs> I'm still very um, grateful to this client that helped me so much. And um, now I have this big room that really looks like a dungeon with a beautiful uh, furniture, with a cross, it's very comfortable spanking bench, the cage. Most of these items I did uh, by my own design. So I ordered them from the company that's doing it and they, did exactly what I wanted with a cage, for example, which is very versatile. I think I showed you like it has like a, here is the there is a hole, there is a frame. You can do this, you can do that. There is a wheel, so um, it's very versatile. So uh, this is my last room that I did, but I still have a lot of plans <laughs> for the plans. It's just that it's a matter of time and money, you know. And maybe there will be some more clients that will help me and, and pay for something else. <laughs> we'll see. Is there anything that you want to add from this, conversa this conversation? Mm. Anything that you think we haven't covered? Um, I think I, I talk quite a lot to, uh, I, and I, today I was talking a lot about males, like men. Um, and I must say that, yes, there are, there are women also, of course, there are a lot of women that are into BDSM. It's not that conventional to go to a dominatrix um, for a woman. Uh, but overall, I would like to encourage women to try and learn to dominate. <laughs> because I believe this is really, really empowering. This is changing your life, your relationship with people and men specifically. It's changing your views on yourself, on how you feel yourself, how you communicate with other people. You understand the es essence of power and how people are submitting to you. You understand that the power is something that also is giving you a lot of responsibility. So you need to be much more uh, conscious about the consequences that you will bring to the life of people when you have this power over them. So I would say that it changed all of my life and my relationships as well. So I would advise all women at least know how it works. Like not even specifically talking about like practices. I'm not telling you, oh, you need to learn how to uh, hit a, a man with a whip. It's not this. It's not the same. I'm talking mostly about psychological side of domination, and it will bring to uh, women the feeling of them being, um, you know, feeling themselves as queens, as goddesses. Mm -hmm. Not in a bad way. Not in the in a way that they would consider themselves better than others. Like over, not, overpowering. 
Yeah, it's more, it gives you the feeling that you are a strong person. You are someone who deserves love, worship. Um, you deserve good, good attitude to you. But it also gives you the feeling that you are now strong enough to make decisions by yourself. Stop being infantile. Stop expecting other people making decisions for you. So for me, it is really, really healing. It's the same way as I believe for a man, it's very healing to become a submissive within the session. You know, not in life, but within the session is very healing. The same way for women, I think it's very healing and very beneficial to feel themselves that powerful and dominating um, as it's happening during my sessions. So yeah, this is probably what I wanted to say. <laughs> Do you have any, any women as clients? Uh, very rarely. Very rarely. Yeah, more, more often uh, for uh, teaching, you know, I teach women to dominate. I give consultations to couples, to just women, and I have a structured um, training that I have developed with time. I made a couple of public workshops, like group workshops as well in Lisbon. It just takes some time to organize them, so uh, it's not that often happening, but I did it as well. So, yeah, I know I have a very clear, and I must, I must mention my mentor, uh, Mrs. Damiana Chi from Los Angeles, that I got a course from her, and this is my, the source of my main psychological knowledge about um, what I'm doing and what I'm, how I'm dominating, how I'm working. Um, and this, this kind of a training gives me a very good idea. I can really make any woman into a dominatrix, like literally every woman. I, I, I know I have the tools for that. And um, women that go through my training, they, they can witness that. That's, that's a very simple steps for that. Um, this, this question is, is, wanting, is wanting to come through. Um, so dominatrix is something that you do as a profession. But in your normal in your normal life, day-to-day -day life, are you a dominatrix as well? Do you dominate your life? Um, if it depends on what you consider dominating in your life, you know. If you mean if I dominate my partner, um, no, okay. I have like an absolutely normal relationship. Okay. Uh, but if you talk about dominatrix as someone who is uh, able to support herself who is um, absolutely empowered to make decisions by herself uh, take control of her life not expecting other people to solve your own problems um, being a support for herself and for others this is absolutely true this yeah. is uh, I, I believe every grown-up person not only a woman should be like that so yeah, we need to dominate our life, right? We need to control our life. So this this is what I feel myself, yes. Yeah. Hey, Lena. That was brilliant. I love this, um, this conversation. It was quite... I, went, I wanted to bring this um, to the table because in a, in a more educational um, conversation, because there is such... Um, 
shame and prejudice around this team. And when I found you, I felt that this would be something that I wanted to talk about, uh, to bring more clarity, to have someone like you as a professional to bring, to talk about BDSM, Femdom and Dominatrix and all the difference between one thing and another, because I was in blank when I know you, when I knew you. Mm -hmm. And for me, it has been such a very uh, <clears throat> like open mind. It has open minded myself yeah. and you and my view about 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 this world. Yeah, and maybe there's something that I should have stated in the beginning, but I did not because we already talked about it. Is that people have very wrong idea of a dominatrix always having sex, so it's it's like a part of a sexual intercourse which is not true. And what I always say that, well, a professional dominatrix is not uh, having sex with the clients. I'm not even undressing into lingerie, not even talking about uh, being totally naked. But what is important is that I'm using my erotic power of a man to control them. This is what I'm doing, okay? So I am using my sexual power, but sex is something that's happening in your mind. I always say about it. And I don't have to have sexual contact with the client to make him excited, to make him um, wanting to do anything for me because he desires me. This is the, the main idea of femdom. So I am seducing him, but never give him what he wants. This is the idea of fandom in my eyes. And this is what I think the essence of, of fandom. Maybe that was something that I should have said also in the very beginning, because that's my yeah. idea, I, how I see fandom. It's power exchange based on this erotic control when you're seducing the man and never give him what he wants. The Vault, a podcast with Dalita Hood. Thank you.